We're here today with my colleagues from McKendree University, and we're here today to talk about the Women's March that happened in St. Louis last weekend. Two weekends ago. Two weekends ago, yes, yeah. right, that's right. It actually has been two weeks. Right. Um, my name is Dr. Brenda Boudreau, and I'm a professor in the English department, and I'm going to let my colleagues introduce themselves. Hello, this is Dr. Shelley Lemons, and I am in the history department here at McKendree. And hi, I'm Dr. Jennifer Guillen, and I'm in the sociology department, also a professor. Okay, good. Okay, we could have asked many of our other colleagues. We had a lot. McKendree was very well represented at the Women's March. So what we're going to do is actually take some questions that came from Glamour Magazine, which Dr. Lemons has. And um, we're, we're just going to talk a little bit about our experiences and why we felt that the Women's March was so important and how we're going to move forward after that event. Right. Actually, I would like to start with just asking each of you, how did you hear about the march? I actually heard about it on Facebook, and um, I was very excited about it. Particularly, I had thought about actually going to D.C. and just decided it was too complicated. School was starting the next day. It was going to be really hard to get there. And so when I heard there was a women's march in St. Louis, I was really excited. And in fact, I decided to volunteer for the event and was a parade marshal. So that was really exciting. Right, and I'd also heard about the Washington, D.C. one first and foremost. Mm -hmm. I think that was the most publicized one. And I'd seen colleagues from previous um, institutions also saying about how they were going to go to the Washington, D.C., but there was all sorts of issues with accommodations and, mm -hmm. like, the cost and travel and stuff right. like that. So um, I know some people who did go to the D.C. one, mm -hmm. and just like Dr. Boudreau said, I also heard about it through Facebook. And I didn't organize as Dr. Boudreau did, but I did march with Dr. Lemons and her daughter. Mm -hmm. And I think a former student... It was the one that right. sent me the the request or the invitation. Yeah. It, I mean, I think it started, it went viral very quickly once it got on Facebook and people started sharing it on email. What, uh, for me, you know, taking my daughter with me was a big motivating factor for saying this is something not only that I care about and I'm interested in seeing what happens, but being actually physically a part of it in some form or fashion. Uh, Dr. Gann, for you, what was it that made you decide, yes, not only do I know about it and I think it's important, but I want to go and participate? I think part of it, a big part of it was, um, as Dr. Boudreau said, right, the, the camaraderie that was, there was of the representation of McKendree colleagues that I think was really inspiring mm -hmm. and that gave me solace, especially as a new faculty member, really knowing that people are willing to fight for injustices, right? So I think that was a major catalyst for me. And also just kind of really knowing what the draconian regime was going to kind of look like or what the policies were, mm -hmm. the expectations of it. Are, if I knew that there had to be visibility, and that was one of the mechanisms that we needed to use. Mm -hmm. so. I've been deeply troubled since the election, and in fact, I was sort of went into a funky depression right after mm -hmm. it. That and, sounds familiar. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> and uh, so... And, and particularly given how women have been sort of represented and treated um, in, in this whole election process, and obviously the Women's March was about much more than that. I think it's, you know, talking about environmentalism and workers' rights and LGBTQ rights and things like that. But for me, as a woman, I'm, I'm frightened, and I still am frightened. And so doing the march was a way to sort of do something positive. And we can talk more about just how we felt being there, but that, that's what really excited me about doing the march. Now, one of the things that I noticed from being a participant in the event itself was the uh, amount of diversity mm -hmm. in people who were there, but in the signage that they brought and mm -hmm. in the kinds of issues that they were excited about or interested in, uh, passionate about, and why they were there. Um, could you describe for um, for each of us kind of uh, what what kind of signage, what kind of things did you see that really struck you 
from being in the march itself? Um, I think for me, especially as a, right, I mean, I identify as a woman of color, I'm Mexican, right, and I have various identities. It was something that I know was initially set as very problematic, right, that I think the Women's March initially, the one in St. Louis especially, was called out for not necessarily being as inclusionary of many identities. And so I, one thing that I did enjoy was that the organizers took a step back and said, yeah, we messed up. We need mm -hmm. to be much more inclusive. We need to do more. We need to do better, right, which I think is really where we need to move forward with a lot of things. And in terms of the signage, um, one of the things that I observed, especially as we were marching Dr. Lemons, right, with your daughter, was that there was a group of very young women that were various races. They seemed college-aged. Um, and their signs were very intersectional, too, right? They were talking about um, black liberation, right, Black Lives Matter. Mm -hmm. They were talking about trans issues, right? Trans is beautiful was one of the ones that I had noticed from their group. And their chants, they led a lot of the chants near us. They did. And to me, that was a, it, inspiring, right, to see this group of women that very, at a very young age, right, was understanding these things and how they were playing out. And to mm -hmm. me was, especially with your daughter there, I think was, like, really inspirational, right, to see that, right? And there was other kids. There's so many kids, too, that... Tons of children, right. yeah. With really also beautiful signs, right. right? And so I thought that was super inspiring to see kids that were being brought up in in areas with people that were very inclusionary and very thoughtful about signs and things like that. Mm -hmm. It's interesting that those issues in terms of organizing, I think, happened across the country, and it definitely happened in D.C. Lots of people got very yeah. upset about not being reached out to when they started organizing the march, particularly in the Black Lives Matter movement. Right. Um, I think the St. Louis organizers definitely recognized that and actually met with some, you know, yeah. some some of the other activist groups. And I think it basically allowed things to move forward in a positive way. I think they, in all honesty, I think the women when they started proposed a St. Louis march, it was like, hey, we should do this, and they we're going to talk to some of their friends, and it, it sort of spiraled really, really quickly. They initially expected about 3,000 people. The Tuesday before the march, they expected 8,000. The day of the march, they expected 10,000, and I think it was probably closer to 20,000. So Yeah, I saw estimates that said eleven to 13,000, mm -hmm. but that was, I think, just really right after the march in St. Louis happened, yeah. so that could be different. And I do recall also um, seeing some information that was talking about uh, the original plan was to be on the sidewalk, yes. but then mm -hmm. it actually became mm -hmm. something that was on the streets. Could you talk a little bit about that, Dr. Boudreaux, as somebody who was part of that marshalling team? How did that play out, this volume yeah. of people now expected to come to this this march? Yes. Well, once they realized it was up to 8,000, they knew there was no way they could march on the sidewalks. They were going to have to mm -hmm. walk on the street. So originally, the responsibilities of the marshals was going to be to block, you know, let the traffic light change and then block the streets. And so, the, you know, the organizers, we actually had to do training to see, you know, we, they were expecting counter-protests, what was going to happen if someone tried to force their way into the traffic, how were we going to respond to that. But as soon on that Saturday morning, I mean, um, no, it was, Saturday. It, was, it, was it was Saturday, Saturday yes. Uh -huh. Yeah, on that morning, um, the police were there at 7 o'clock. They had already had all the roads blocked off. There were police kind of, mar you know, lots of police on bicycles. And there were, and even you know, they, they, we had downloaded the ACLU app just in case something happened. We were supposed to film it in case there was any kind of problems. But everything, you know, went went like clockwork. It was very peaceful. I didn't see a single counter protester myself. Um, people were polite and excited, and and you know, they I think they wished there were more uh, porta potties. But <laughs> other than that, I, I think everything went really, really well. I know several people that I talked to after having been at the march said, oh, that's so cool that you went. I'm so, it was so exciting to see you have your daughter there with you. Um, she's 11. Um, but many 
fellow mom said, I was going to go, but I didn't because I was concerned about yes. whether or not mm-hmm. it would be appropriate for children. And I think that's important to bring out, especially in terms of how like Black Lives Matter protests have been framed versus like this Women's March protest, right, which has been a very different approach generally, right? When mm-hmm. the Black Lives Matter um, groups are organizing and getting people together and they're protesting against racial injustices, um, they're met with police yes. who are equipped yes. with mm-hmm. weapons already, right? There's mm-hmm. quintessential images of, um, I can't remember her name, she's wearing that flowing dress and she's right. standing in front of the police, right? And they're ready, right, with all of their equipment, mm-hmm. like their militarized equipment, right, ready to encounter her. And she's wearing, like, has flowers, right? It's a really beautiful image, but it really shows the stark differences that happen in social movements, right? Mm-hmm. Whereas the Women's March, as you both have said, very much introduced with a very peaceful, no really counter protest. I went to the the emergency rally for immigrants and refugees last weekend, mm-hmm. and we did have an encounter when we were watch, marching down the street, and a car stopped, and the guy was getting out and was ready to like encounter physically with somebody else. Oh wow! And so, and that was it, right? But people were kind of trying to defuse the situation, of like, dude, just let it go, like mm-hmm. safety first. Let's keep on marching, doing our purpose. Right. But I mean, it was it was close to blows on wow. that one, okay. yeah. Well, it, I mean, we, we have to talk about white privilege, right? When we right. think about how the fact that the police were there helping to organize the traffic and helping the organizers just right. kind of keep the march going. I mean, I think that's definitely a part of what happened. Right. Yes. And we can even see it in how it was received nationally, right? This mm-hmm. whole like, oh, see, this is how people should march. This is if you are going to protest, right? This is how you should protest, right? Black Lives Matter isn't doing it right, right? Which right. is part of that privilege, right? Which I think is really important to highlight mm-hmm. in terms of how different social mm-hmm. movements play out despite the women's march trying to be inclusive of everybody and so does black lives matter if you really look at their mission statement right well you mentioned dr Guillen, the the recent immigrants um, march there are other marches being organized as well um the the gay pride uh, festival for the summer is uh, geared to be towards a more national uh, washington dc kind of protest too but my question i kind of wondered and this is from the the glamour magazine pool also but the perspective of the two of you of what kind of message do you think that this march should send to the new president and his administration hmm. well it, it's interesting that the day obviously the fact that it happened the day after the inauguration people have perceived it you know, maybe maybe we should have waited a week, things like that. And obviously it was intentional to do it the day after the march. Um, President Trump, um, the day of the march, sent out a tweet, something to the effect. Initially it was sort of negative, like, I can't believe these people are doing this. They should have been out, you know, voting. And then it was like, oh, I recognize people's right to march. Um, so I, I, that's about all he said about it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, it's not unprecedented for there to be a women's march in D.C. for inauguration. I mean, right. 1913, when the Wilson administration was refusing to recognize women's suffrage, you know, the, the Congressional Union and the National Women's Party did organize a march right straight down <laughs> the main drag. Right. And, but historically speaking, did not come off as a peaceful protest. Did end up having some physical altercation mm-hmm. with that. It was such a tremendous feeling, though, knowing doing the march, but also knowing people all over the country were and doing it. And, and the world, right. yes. I think there were close to 4.7 million people who actually marched. Right. But I had sisters in Boston, Raleigh, North Carolina, in Denver, Colorado. And just knowing they were doing the same thing, I mean, I really, that just made me feel great to know that this was something, you know, so many people came out for it. And, and maybe there is something to be said. You know, a lot of white women did vote for right. Trump and um, 
you know, were they marching on that day? I would love to know right. those statistics, mm-hmm. actually. And I think that's really important to notice, right? I mean, I think a lot of, there was a lot of snarky kind of signs, too, at the march, right, of, like, where were you November 8th, right, mm-hmm. where a lot of, particularly white women, as Dr. Boudreaux highlights, um, showed out very much so for mm-hmm. these protests as well in St. Louis or D.C. or across the globe. But where were they November 8th, right? Should we have done more mobilization even prior to the presidency, right? But That is some critique that I've heard uh, of people working in higher ed in general. Mm -hmm. Did we try to be too objective in the process of the campaign? But at the same time, the historian in me says, (laughs) you know, we stretch it out for two years plus years. I mean, there's a fatigue factor, too. Right. Yeah, definitely. Well, the final question that I have uh, for the two of you for us to think about is what action do you think uh, you'd like to see happen next? What would be a successful outcome next step? I mean, I think more people need to be involved politically at multiple levels, right? Locally, statewide, um, nationally, right? Talk to Congress people, right? Talk to your representatives, um, get your voice out there. But it needs to be beyond even just letters. I know um, Dr. Boudreaux is going to talk about one of the groups that we have created on campus to kind of address these issues. But I think really showing up at town halls, right? Direct conversations with our district representatives, with our Congress people, et cetera, if you can contact them and get a hold of them. Because I've read a lot of um, information from staffers who have said that, yeah, they don't care about your tweets. They don't care about what you mm-hmm. pay, post on Facebook, right? They Sometimes even your phone calls don't matter to them, right? So, But showing up in person and doing things in person and showing that you are willing to even drive that 15, 20 minutes or more, right, has an extra value, right? Because they put a face, the name. Um, one of my former professors in Champaign-Urbana, she says she quote unquote harasses her district representative because they know her by name and they know, like they can see her coming right and so I think part of that is we need to do that but we need to do more and engage in more conversations with one another okay um, it was surprising to me on the day I showed up for training to be a marshal the number of women so they went around the room and said why are you here why are you volunteering how many of them said you know I've I've been checked out for the past decade mm. and um, you know I've, I've been apathetic so long and and you know it took this this particular election to really motivate people to come out now whether or not we can sustain that is is the bigger question but I thought that was interesting and I think I probably would say that same of myself right mm. I was critical of things but not really acting on them um, here on campus, we've we've sort of got to we, we, again. It kind of started with a small group. We said, "Hey, what can we do to keep kind of this momentum going?" Thinking about the march, and um, uh, Lisa Brennan actually sent out an email and said, "Hey, would some of you like to get together and do some letter writing?" Some of the you know people who had been addressed by the email sent it to some of the women they know who might be interested. And so all of a sudden, it's a group of what thirty five or forty people, right? In true grassroots, organic fashion, too. right? right. We're jokingly calling ourselves the McNasties, um, <laughs> which I love. Yeah. Yes, um, but part of it is definitely um, thinking about you know what can we actually do, right? So on the Women's March website, I mean, I would encourage you know everybody to actually look at that. They had ten or a hundred days of action, ten mm-hmm. things you can do, and there are very specific things, right? But um, I had my sisters and my mom this morning having this conversation about you should call your representative, and they're talking about the education. Um, uh, Betsy DeVos, DeVos right, mm-hmm. and and call and, and you know they're saying, well, what what would I say, right? And I think that's people's sometimes right. what really holds them back from from being right. active. And a lot of that, I mean, I think um, 
Sean King has also done a lot of um, organizing, right? He started this even starting November as a boycott, right? A global boycott of particular things. And it's been, he sends like every day, he sends updates about what mm-hmm. to do. And he even gives scripts of like, if you don't know what to say, right? right? Because right. people don't have, right, the cultural capital sometimes to mm-hmm. talk about these right. things with people. And so I think he and his group have really organized really well in terms of giving instructions and giving kind of a, a leading right to this is what you could do mm-hmm. um and so i think there are plenty of people out there that are really um dif- like really pushing for information to be right spread out mm-hmm. and i think that's an important thing too right one of the things that we saw at the immigration the emergency immigration mm-hmm. in march was that there was lawyers talking about what this meant for future immigrant right for right. immigrants that are currently in the future immigration stuff and they handed out like know your rights kind of mm-hmm. um, pamphlets that were very real Right. Like and one of the main things that when we started chanting was don't open the door. Right. Because as citizens, even if you don't have authorization to be here, you don't have to open your door for law enforcement. Mm -hmm. Right. And so that's one of the things that a lot of people don't know. And it happens a lot with immigration raids that people open the door because of the fear of law enforcement. Right. And so it then has more drastic repercussions. And so spreading that kind of information about what your legal rights are, I think, is really important to do Mm -hmm. and to spread it to folks, especially who are going to be the most affected. I think that practical things, practical actions people can take are important to keep a momentum for a collective identity and a collective movement for change to continue to move forward. Historically speaking, I mean, the the balance of power and authority is such that, you know, women in speaking out loud in public is still kind of seen as pretty radical and controversial. Mm -hmm. So being able to to overcome anything that would sort of uh, undermine that voice and discredit that voice is really important. So whatever tools we can share with other women Right. To, to be able to, to bridge that gap is really important. Yeah, and actually if you if you were at the march, you could sign up for a, a text message. That's that's probably, mm-hmm. Jennifer, how you found out about the, uh, the immigration yeah. march, right? And they actually got over 800 people to show up at the airport last weekend, too, for, after the immigration ban. And they're having another one this weekend. I just mm-hmm. got a text earlier about that there's an immigration one happening mm-hmm. to this weekend as well. Um, so, yeah, I mean, we can use technology to our advantage. Right. And I think one thing that I would also call for as parts of these calls for action that we have is to really think about beyond our own personal experiences and privileges, right, our own positionality. And I think that's one of the things that has been criticized about the Women's March and other marches is the inclusivity, right, that we have mm-hmm. to think about how we're being transphobic and trans-exclusive, right, and exclusionary of women of color particularly, and to do things and to do better, right, and to acknowledge that, yeah, we might not know that we're doing these things and the impact that they have, but they do have an impact, whether intentional or not. Um, I'd like to turn it back uh, to this campus for, from you guys, yeah. right? Because mm-hmm. I was sort of surprised in talking about it in class when I asked students if they had gone. How, how mm-hmm. few female students on campus actually went? They said, oh, I, I wanted to go, but but they didn't. And I'm not mm-hmm. sure exactly what that means. Like, how do we motivate our young women? We have a young feminist group on campus. Mm-hmm. But I'd like to see them being, particularly at this moment in history, being more politically active. Yeah, I don't know the answer to that for sure, right? Um, but I have noticed I have made more of a conscious effort to reach out to students that are wearing T-shirts that have more politicized mm. kind of statements on them or the ones that come in and do engage in the conversation more than I have before. So I think like kind of what you said earlier, Dr. Bedrew, of, of being able to be more passive about my feminism, about my commitment to change, right. about being progressive over the last decade or so, it really has taken a back burner to other things that I'm doing. I have, you know, the personal is political, but I've mm-hmm. sort of, defaulted to focusing so much on the personal that I've forgotten about the political. So I have to push myself to reach out 
stronger towards them in ways that I haven't. And I think for me, there's one as a new faculty member, right? I'm untenured yet. Mm -hmm. Um, I'm the only Latina faculty member on this campus. I have several risks that I run to, and Mm -hmm. I have to be very conscientious of making my personal political and a public forum such as a classroom. I'm teaching a race class right now. And that's probably been the hardest class because this, these recurring themes keep on coming up. And my my students are posting brilliant questions that are really pushing each other. Right, they have a discussion board that they're we talk about in class, and so they push each other beautifully to these things. But it puts me in a position where I, I have to be critical of this administration because of sociologically what it implies. Of course, yes. But on a personal level, right? I mean the effect that student evaluations could really have or that this class could have on my tenure process is a constant thing that even one student today said, I wanted to ask you a question in private, and so we spoke in my office, because I know what's at stake for you as the only Latina faculty member teaching a race class as untenured. And so I was, I was very grateful for her. insightful for a student. Yeah, no, I mean, I was very grateful for her doing that. And so being very conscious of my own positionality and what is a risk for me in bridging these conversations because it is a risk for me and so I can't always right both of you are already tenured right you've been at McKendree for several Mm -hmm. years I've been here four months five months six months Mm -hmm. right August and so I feel like there's I'm very conscientious even of who I speak with about some of these issues which are very personal to me right so I have to kind of shield part of my own identities and views for with some people so like very conscientious of that no it's a danger for faculty I, I agree and it was something I definitely felt when I first came and was was doing things that were really pushing the envelopes with students um and, and, and but as a faculty member there is always that question what's what is our responsibility mm-hmm. right and right. so I I invited students last semester you know to watch the debates and they had to write a response paper but I really tried to keep my opinion out of it um and there's a little part of me that wonders well, yeah, if we should. I'm kind of wondering that myself. I've had this conversation in, for several years now in different uh, uh, contexts and different settings of what, where is the value of mm. objectivity hurting the larger discourse, right? Mm. So where do you find the balance between keeping your, your opinions private versus being a little bit more transparent perhaps, mm-hmm. right, with students? And I think that comes back to uh, for me, sociologically speaking, right, like I've taught at two other institutions prior to McKendry, and I shy away from not I, – I use sociology to explain particular phenomena, right? And so oftentimes students conflate that with being my own personal opinion, so I have to really stress to all of my classes that I am not espousing actually my own personal opinion because probably my opinion is much more radical than <laughs> what I present in class. And so um, I don't actually talk about my own personal experience. Um, I've had students ask me, like, what is your personal take on this? And I've been like, you can come talk to me in my office about it, but I'm not going to do it in this public forum because I've been untenured at these at these mm-hmm. positions, right? And student evaluations undoubtedly then come back, even in a social problems introduction to sociology class, undoubtedly come back with, she's so biased. This is like a yes. liberally mm-hmm. biased course, right? Which I tell students at the very beginning of the semester that inherently sociology is biased towards right. a liberal right. sense because we look at the big, big group picture. And so I think it's still... It plays out into the, in terms of those evaluations, which as a woman of color, as a faculty of color, I, like there's research that shows that I'm going to be evaluated much more harshly mm-hmm. than a white faculty member, especially a white male. Right. And so part of this privilege right. that Dr. Boudreaux was bringing up, I think, is really important and crucial in understanding how the political becomes personal. Right. The, right, the, the personal becomes political and all these things play out. And it's 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 still to me, it wears on me. Right. That I. I 
I wish that I could go out, walk into a classroom and be like, I am X, Y, or Z. Right. And this is my political stance. Right. And because people often conflate the two. That my, what I talk about in class is my own personal opinion. And I don't know if that happens in your fields as mm-hmm. historians and English, if this comes out in terms of how you talk about particular issues. Um, students will ask, that's for sure, right? It, in uh, group discussion, when we try to hmm. make ties between historical events to contemporary events, they'll ask where I am. And sometimes I tell them and sometimes I don't. Hmm. And it depends on what their topic is. Yeah, I, I, I would agree with you. The flip, the flip side of the coin, though, I do think there are students on campus, young women in particular, who, who share some of our views or beliefs. And I, I think they're really unsure how to take that next step. How do I become involved? How do I participate in these things? I mean, I'm always very proud of the young feminists for doing the vagina right. monologues, but I want them to take it to that next, the next level. level. Yeah. yeah, And I think that's something that I'm, I'm currently advisor for Define American, right? A group that Diana Nevarez is, has created the chapter on campus and she heads and she's they're, they're doing a lot of stuff. And that's something that I've really pushed for her to do, right? Because part of the Define American thing is to share immigrant stories, right? As a national organization, that's their gist. And so what I've pulled Diane and the other wonderful members of Define American is to go beyond what the narratives, right? Go to what the narrative has as an impact, right? How does this story, this thing that you experience your life in the United States, how does this actually impact who you are as a person and your, right, the material conditions that mm-hmm. you're in, right, your, um, right, material wealth, et cetera, right. et cetera, opportunities, et cetera. And so one of the things that I'm grateful that they're doing is that they're doing a lot of community outreach right. and, like, um, in several areas around here that are predominantly Latino, Hispanic, right? And so I think there are groups you just, you definitely have to kind of plant seeds, right, of, hey, you know, there are avenues for this Mm -hmm. to happen. And I do agree with Dr. Boudreaux that a lot of our students feel that they want to do things, but they don't know how to do things. Mm -hmm. And so I think one of the the things that that students could do is come talk to faculty individually or even as a group, right, as as what we do, right? I think several of us are activists in different ways, right? Or we've yeah, engaged yeah, in activism yeah, right, in different yeah. ways. And so I feel like we have experience and knowledge that we can also impart to our students or at least guide them to, hey, go look, check out this group. And that does seem to be within the, the role of a, a university faculty member that you're a professor and a mentor right. to be able to move beyond just a classroom setting but into life and your right. life's work. Part right. of our lifelong learning, right? Yeah, and young, the Young Feminist Group is probably a good place to start right. with those conversations. Maybe get some more students involved, and particularly those who who know that that they share some of these beliefs and might like to come forward and talk about. You know, them. I do have to to say that I feel compelled to say that when I was planning to go even to the St. Louis March, there was just a small handful of people on campus that I had told that I was okay. planning on going, and it wasn't so much like a fear factor but I just I don't know I just it didn't occur to me that there would be so many McKendry people (laughs) involved and present and so it was really wonderful to be able to come together the day of afterward and sort of decompress a little bit about what we had just done and now to be a part of this larger group the McNasties later to be able to have that continued connection with people that I work with right about something that I care about that's maybe um, well it is it's much bigger than what we do here right on our campus Okay, so maybe we can come back and have a conversation again after after we uh, our, our group meets and we can think about how we're going to move forward in our activism and um, really maybe affect some kind of change, right. which is what I really hope for. Exactly. And also, I think one thing that I was also, I mean, really happy with or happy to see was I remember the day after the election when they had Ames giving 
right? And there was a group of students actually yes. outside of Ames um, protesting. I was a part of that too. Right, and we <laughs> watched and we observed, and right, I mean, these students are exercising their right to protest, right, which is a constitutional right that we all have. Um, and so I was very happy to see that in such a short amount of time, Right, a group of, I think it was like 10, 15 individuals mm-hmm, mm-hmm. had mobilized, right? They put themselves in vulnerable positions that were very visible, right? And that I commend them, right? Many of them with um, our marginalized identities, right. putting themselves very visibly at the forefront of this is who we are as McKendry Bearcats, right? As McKendry students, and we're not, we're not in favor of this, and we are going to protest. And so to me, it was really a glimmer of hope that, okay, there is the social action that students that are aware of. consciousness. Right. So right. it, was, it was really good to see, and right. I was very encouraged despite there being four public safety officers also. Oh, standing there. Standing. <laughs> and we, we can't afford to sit back, right? We, ha- we right. have Muslim right. students on this campus. Um, you know, I think most of them are not from the countries that have been identified for, for the immigration ban, but, you know, we really need to reach out to the, these students. And not wait and, for them to right. be a part of right. some ban. Mm-hmm. Right. Yes. Okay, well, thank you both All for right. coming in to yeah. talk today, yeah, and we'll you. we'll come back and have this conversation again after the McNasties uh, start their letter writing and calling campaign. So. Sounds good. Yeah, let's do it. All right, mm-hmm. have a great day. You too. Bye. Bye.